Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you clean up your mind, take back control of your mental health, and live your happiest life. In this episode, I chat with holistic psychologist Dr. Nicole LaPera about the often forgotten issue of secondary trauma, compassion fatigue, healing childhood trauma, the non-conscious and subconscious mind, Dr. Nicole's unique and highly effective approach to treating mental and physical health issues, and so much more. Dr. Nicola Perra is a holistic psychologist who believes that mental wellness is for everyone. She evolved her more traditional training from Cornell University and the New School to one that acknowledges the connection between mind and body. She views mental and physical struggles from a whole person perspective and works to identify the underlying physical and emotional causes. She understands that balance is an integral part of wellness and empowers individuals to heal themselves, supporting them on their wellness journeys. Dr. LaPera founded the Mindful Healing Center in Center City, Philadelphia. She recently expanded her work online, creating a platform for teaching these often overlooked components of mental wellness to individuals and practitioners around the world. If you enjoy my podcast, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review and subscribing to my podcast. And share episodes and this podcast with friends and family, because let's be honest, we all know someone who needs help with their mental health. One last thing before we begin. If you'd like to receive text messages from me with mental health tips, exclusive content, insider access to sales and events, and more, just text Dr. Leaf to 833-285-3747. The details will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Dr. Nicola Perra, I'm so excited to talk to you again and to have you back in the studio. Just a couple of weeks back, we did an Instagram live and there were like 30,000 people or something that have watched that and we've had such amazing feedback. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you've taken the time to talk to me again. Thank you. Of course, Dr. Leaf. And I, I feel like that was our appetizer, that live that we did. So I'm really excited too. I feel like there's so much more that you and I can talk about. We speak the same language, so I'm honored to be having that follow-up conversation. With oh, you I, am, I am too. It's so good and I, and I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Nicole, for those people that didn't see the Instagram live, do you mind just, just telling us a little bit about yourself and also what's not in your bio? You know, Give us some little behind the scenes things over there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know me, I currently go by the handle on Instagram, the holistic psychologist. And I bring that up because that really, I think, embodies a lot of my journey thus far as a, as a human and also as a clinician. So on the human side of things, I think like many of us out there, I've had anxiety as long as I can remember. 
and my symptoms of anxiety, you know, including the panic attacks that are a nightmare for those of us who have had them were present in my life. Sometimes they were far more debilitating those symptoms than other times. And, you know, I think the conventional belief for a while that I was holding about myself, but also as a practitioner where that was, that was my lot in life. You know, I was going to be an adult with anxiety. I would probably, you know, end my time here on this planet having anxiety. And really it was about how do I manage my anxiety on a professional side of things. I was very attracted to the human mind, to people felt very intuitive that I would go into the profession of being a psychologist. And really everything was, you know, moving along in my life until I have had what I call a dark night of the soul where my symptoms, my physical symptoms became unmanageable or so I felt I started to faint. I started to forget my words. So things that were behind the scenes physically for me really came to the surface. And I also had a reckoning, I think with, with my emotional world or lack thereof, I was someone who's very disconnected from my own emotions, even though I'm in the profession of emotion. So and, you know, not really feeling equipped to navigate my emotions and then spiritually not really living in alignment. And I really had my aha moment, Dr. Leaf, when I started to notice the same patterns in my clients. So now here I am a human in a room as a practitioner feeling stuck in all of the same ways that all of my clients were stuck. So as a result of some, some deeper healing that I've done, I really embodied this concept of holistic, which to me means you know, we are a body and there's some physiological, you know, mechanisms that we can harness, including our nervous system that many of us are dysregulated in. In my opinion, a lot of us struggle with our emotions from disconnected completely to, I don't know what the hell to do with them. They're overwhelming. And then for those of us who believe as I do, I think that we are, there's a spiritual entity. There's a soul that is here as well. And so what I mean when I mean holistic, and this is how I came to my own personal healing, I addressed all of it. You know, I, I began to shift and change my daily behaviors so that I was moving toward alignment in all of those areas. And the short of it is I started to get better. I started to not even have the symptoms of anxiety. I started to break out of some of these patterns that I was repeating just like my clients. And then I really came to the conclusion that this had to be the way we begin to work in the field because I know, you know, you've been through a similar schooling system and for a very long time, everything was kept separate, the mind, the body as a separate entity, and then the soul has been completely just forgotten about. So I'm here to say, I believe that the whole field itself has to update in this more holistic way. I love what you just said. And I'm like smiling inside because, you know, 38 years ago when I got involved in this field, I remember being told by my professors when I said that the mind, there's a connection between the mind and the brain and the body, that our brain is, can be changed by our mind and that there's this inseparable, but separate, but inseparable connection. And we, and we, and the, the field of integrative medicine had be, only sort of begun at that stage. There, there had been stuff for 150 years, but it was only really coming. But that particular time was when it was so much about, no, it's just brain, 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 the scientific method, the focus, the neuroreductionism. And I was in that field and they said, why are you? It's the brain. The brain's making, I said, no, the brain's not making you do anything. Your amygdala can't do anything without your mind actually, you know, you're dead, you're, you know, and everyone goes on about when people start saying, oh, my amygdala is this and my amygdala is firing. I'm saying, it's not doing anything. You're doing it. And your amygdala just happens to be the structure that 
houses those emotional responds to the emotional perception and, and it, it gets a bit of like a burst of activity but it's not controlling you so when you talk about holistic this is why I love what you do because this is what for 30 years I was told that 30 years ago I was told that it was a ridiculous question I even did a TED talk on this that you could actually have the mind change the brain so I work with people with traumatic brain injuries who had been written off and said okay if I can get them to change then you've got to start listening and so began my journey on this thing of mind spirit soul body and I also I'm a spiritual person I agree with you cannot ignore the spirit and Nicole 30 years ago and I'm older than you so you may not remember this but I know you've done the historical research and you've done the scientific studies but 30 years ago there was a major shift where the spirit was kind of pushed out it was all mm. about brain 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 and I saw in my practice I saw the rise of people being prepared to do the work of thinking deeply and doing the hard work over time to people saying oh I tried it once it didn't work I need a tablet or I want something quick I saw that shift over the 30 years mm -hmm. and now we're shifting back to holism so your work is phenomenally important and, and you being out there and in the space where people are really hearing the holistic spiritual body approach is very very exciting and very very important so thank you <laughs> Of course. And thank, and thank you for being, you know, kind of for paving this way. It has been in my own research, you know, to come to, you know, to, to be integrate or to be introduced, I should say, to a lot of these concepts that you and I are talking about. I then was introduced to other people like yourself that were doing this work, but that aren't maybe as, you know, we're not exposed to. So I thank you because you, you know, and everyone that has been talking, and this is, I always say this, none of this is, yes, we are coming their science is evolving. We can see new things in the human body that we couldn't. So there's new information, but you'll always hear me say a lot of this isn't new. This is wisdom that has been passed along the ages. And I think one of the big appeals of what my work does now is it translates it in an understandable way. Because if I'm honest, a lot of this stuff felt a little too far out there for me. If I'm honest, a decade ago, you would not have heard me talking about the soul and the spirit. I, like a lot of us, right, was indoctrinated in a, in a religious system, you know, that didn't re resonate with me. So for a long time, I just, you know, I, I closed the door to any spirituality. And I, I know a lot of people and friends and colleagues who similarly have done the same. So when that spirit got thrown out, I think a lot of us did go in, you know, kind of in service of science. I agree that's helpful, but I also agree that we need to find our way back to all of the, the whole that is a human. I agree with you. You know, one of the things I always say, Nicole, is that science is spiritual. Spirituality and science cannot be separated because the science is simply, like you look at quantum physics, it's the most fundamental of sciences and it's the most spiritual. It actually explains exactly how we are made of love, our most fundamental level are waves of love energy and literally be in gravitational fields that have actual mathematical values that can be translated into the values of humanity, like peace and joy and patience and all this stuff. So you can't get, a, you can't suppress what you are. And that's one of the theories that I developed 38 years ago was, talk, was looking at the non-conscious mind, which is your spiritual part of you, which has always been relegated. Still currently is, there's a big debate around, well, a fight around consciousness is the thing. The non-conscious is just this pre-programmable filing cabinet, but it's not. Your non-conscious is the biggest part of you. It's the most intelligent part of you. It's the prompting part of you. It's the, you know, and so when you talk about spiritual, I'll tell people very often the spiritual is scientific. So in science, we talk about the spiritual being the non-conscious mind or the non-local mind. And there's 150 years of incredibly significant, and I'm talking about statistically significant research in this integrative spiritual body 
work, but it's been pushed down because classical physics dominated. So the physical, you know, like the brain, 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 all the physics, and, and you need that too. I mean, I, I'm a neuroscientist. I look inside the brain. I, I look at QEEGs and things to and show you if someone's highly anxious, I can tell you about the high beta there. I can tell it all to you, but that's just a response. It's a, your brain is responding and your mind is using your brain to then generate. So we have to look back at our spiritual. We have to take a holistic mm-hmm. approach and you do such a brilliant job at integrating and simplifying. So I wanted to ask you, let's dive into trauma because I know you are so good at handling trauma. And can we talk about primary trauma and then the very unspoken secondary trauma? And can you give us examples? So maybe define it and then walk us through an example so that we can understand the two. Because that's I get so many questions about that and yeah. you just you just explain it like perfect. Well, thank you. I appreciate all of those very kind words. And and I talk about it a lot because I think that we all are struggling with it. And honestly, it was a really big point, this distinction. And for a while, conventionally, this kind of primary trauma has been defined as trauma for so long. I it, It's been for me a point of confusion because I didn't check those boxes of so primary trauma. Let me just back it up. So the, the 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 trauma that has been studied traditionally that we define as primary trauma for the listeners is probably the trauma that you think about right off the top when you hear the word trauma, right? The instances of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, and like egregious neglect. This trauma was st- studied, I'm sure that many of the listeners have heard of this, with the ACEs scale. And we've essentially come to the conclusion that those of us who check boxes of trauma do suffer negative consequences in all of life. However, this is confusing to me because as I started to be really honest with myself, observing my symptoms, observing those patterns that I was mentioning mentioning earlier in my relationships and how I showed up in the world, not in the most shiniest ways all the time, you know, I, I started to realize that, okay, I'm struggling. That was like the word I would use. Well, why? Right. So I would go back to my training and I would recollect, okay, well, this is real. If you're traumatized in these ways, it's been studied right here, science you have negative consequences. Some of them that sounded very similar to the negative consequences that I was living, right? So I got confused though, because I didn't remember any of those moments of really uh, like abusive behaviors. I didn't have those, or I didn't think I had those in my past. And so when I talk about expanded trauma, I think it's resonating with a lot of people who are like myself, who are living in those stuck patterns, you know, not having the lives that they would like for themselves but they don't check those boxes. Well, why? Because I believe that there's a much more expanded or secondary, right, version of trauma that most of us humans do check the boxes of that can explain why we're stuck in the ways that we're stuck. So what do I mean when I mean secondary types of trauma? Right? I mean the more I mean, a big category that comes up for a lot of us is the more interpersonal, right? Not feeling seen as a child, not feeling heard as a child, not being valued as an authentic and separate, distinct individual from whether it's our caregivers or our whole family unit. I came from a very enmeshed family. So there wasn't separation, you know, between myself and my caregivers and even my siblings. We operated as one unit, right? So I then began to understand I had a very emotionally distant mother who herself was overwhelmed and disconnected from her emotions. So she wasn't able to help me First and foremost, my nervous system regulate as a child. She wasn't able to help me navigate my emotions as a child, right? So now I'm starting to understand, okay, this is why I'm stuck. I define those as a version of of trauma because I believe us as humans, we have physical needs, right? We need our human person, our human body to exist another day, 
I also believe we have emotional and spiritual needs, like I said earlier, to be seen, to be heard, to be valued as a distinct and authentic separate individual. And when we don't get those needs met consistently in childhood, typically, what we do is we adapt and we cope and we come up with all of these ways that we show up in the world that maybe aren't the most actualized ways that we can show up. And so when I expand the definition, I get clarity because now I understand why I'm stuck in the ways that I'm stuck. And I can also find my way toward healing. So I think it's really empowering when we give, when, when we understand that trauma looks different for some of us, but it also helps us understand why we're stuck. And then, like I said, understand the path out. I love that. Okay. So just to summarize what you've said, you've got the traditional trauma that all of us understand. You go through an early childhood experience or it could be early adulthood, some major thing, a rape or an abuse. or That's very well spoken about, very well documented, very, very scientifically shown to impact every system of your body. There's no question about the experience impacting brain and body. And everyone understands that. You talking the secondary trauma is, it's also big, but it's not so obvious. It's more it's a little bit more subtle. So it's that mother who loves you to, and who really loves being your mother, but she grew up in an environment where her emotions, she was, you know, you just didn't talk. You stuck your head in the sand like an ostrich if you had an emotion. You just acted like, you know, you're the woman. You just got to have it all together. You're the mother. You can't, you just don't express your emotion. So then that, she brings that into your parenting. So her parenting style from her mother, from her previous, whatever, generations probably, then came into your, into your life. But you're in a generation where people are asking more questions where there's because we definitely in a this modern era there's definitely a it's almost like we've gone back i almost feel like we swung right back in full circle to the more to the time of aristotle and the greeks so we, we exploring again we're asking questions mm-hmm. the millennial generation have been amazing in terms of hey we can't just accept this anymore i don't like how i'm feeling why do i feel like this so if i'm understanding you correctly the secondary trauma is those things that were still bad still impacted you but they weren't intended to be traumatizing, but they were. I was thinking of one of my patients actually from years ago who was one of four children and she had three brothers and she was the youngest and her dad was very, this very almost toxic masculinity type situation where he was very, and I want to ask you if this is secondary trauma, that primary and secondary trauma, but loving families, they had everything financially, socially, educationally wise. She didn't lack for anything. Very, very loved by her parents. So kind of like this perfect scenario, but her dad was obsessed with the boys in baseball, the three brothers. And for her, Mm -hmm. she felt to be accepted. She had to be a boy and she should put a baseball cap Mm -hmm. on and she purposely downplayed her femininity and and one day she was I think she was seven or eight and she was sitting at a table in a restaurant and some person who they hadn't seen well came up and said didn't realize that that was a girl and said oh what a cute little boy and Nicole it wrecked her life for the rest of her life just went downhill from there from addiction every addiction alcohol porn a sex addiction everything she to the extreme drug addiction you name it it just became divorces and now in her 40s is kind of pulling it together but it took you know in a thir- late yeah. sort of late 30s there was no direct right. rape mm-hmm. or massive thing but it was a whole experience so would that be an example of secondary yeah. trauma 100 percent. i mean having you know you hear this a lot you have a child it also goes the other way right who has an interest maybe in the arts or whatever and and again that's not that's not desired in the family maybe very well intentionally right maybe the parent seems to think that that won't a lot of times right have the career, they won't be able to be fine. I mean, there's a lot of times, right? All of that. Now that part of you, you know, before you know it, that part of you is going to be kind of shoved, shoved down a little bit. There's the stressed out parent, you know, we have 
there's a lot of financial commitments in this day and age, and it's expensive to you know support a family. So you have two stressed out parents, you know, dealing with work and just not as emotionally present to their children. Very well intentioned, they're working to give their children the best, you know, or maybe give them what they didn't have. However, they might not be as emotionally present or available, you know, to these to their children. So it looks there's so many paths, which is why you'll often hear me say when asked, you know, are we all, do we all carry a trauma or I use childhood wound, you know, in some way. And my answer typically is yes, there is some way because we're, we're humans raising humans and we can only model, you know, I'm not a parent. I don't have any plans to be, so I don't actually know what the lived experience of parenting is, but I can imagine it's quite difficult. And we really are only equipped with what we know, whether or not it's because of what was taught to us by our caregivers, or maybe you know, we went through our own evolution as a caregiver and now we have some new tools, but that's really going to be, we don't know what we don't know kind of statement, right? So we're going to lead, again, you oftentimes have parents that kind of go overcompensate in another direction. I've had a painful childhood, so I'm going to make sure my child doesn't experience this pain. Very well intentioned. However, I can go kind of surpassing something that then is helpful, right? Maybe I become so protective of my child that I don't let them experience any stress. So when they go into the world, now we have someone who doesn't know how to talk, right? So there's so many pathways to it, which is why in short, we all are carrying some wound that's affecting us, whether it's the the way we've learned to cope. So like your client, you know, I've learned to self-medicate. I've learned to distract myself. That's how I cope. That becomes my go-to coping skill. However, there's for a lot of us, some negative consequences that go along with those behaviors, right? Some of the impact of my wounds might dictate how I show up in relationships. We see this a lot with people pleasing, right? I might become the person who now is worried about everyone else in my life before myself. In my opinion, that's a conditioned pattern that came from an earlier time in a place, likely a space where we were wounded. Maybe we weren't seen. Maybe we needed to, we had to feel like we had to put mom first to ensure that we received the little bit of mom's love that we could get like me. So that's my story, right? So before I know it, I'm an adult who is so worried about everyone else around me, not surprising the profession I went into, right? You know what I mean? And I was Dr. Leaf. I was in my thirties realizing when asked once very directly, I was talking to a friend. This is how I really came to realize that enmeshment pattern, that putting people first, how I had been living that childhood wound out in my relationship. I came to realize when someone very well intentionally was supporting me, I was going through a litany of all of the obligations that I felt I had to my partner and their family and this friend over here. I think it might've been holiday time, whatever. The person looked, I was saying what all these people wanted of me. The person looked really directly at me and said, okay, well, what do you want, Nicole? And I could have fallen. I could have fallen off the couch because the truth of the matter was I had no idea. No one asked me. I didn't ask myself. I didn't know what I wanted. And at that point, I really began to realize that part of my conditioning, part of the way I coped with right my childhood events was I put everyone first. And here was it right in my face. I didn't know what the hell I wanted. So a lot of us carry the ways that we are dealing with our wounds into adulthood, into the dynamics. And that's why I often talk about relationships and relationships come up a lot because we see these patterns more often than not because we are interpersonal creatures in our relationships. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. 
Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent and informed and healthy me. I use Blinkist as part of my daily brain building morning routine, which helps really boost my mental health throughout the day. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. The link will be in the show notes. I'm thinking as you're talking about those parents and that the enmeshment that you had with your mother and how you, to get just that little bit of love, you put everyone else first and how that carried out into your entire life and into your profession. And almost like subconsciously, you were trying to fix it. If you think of yeah. it, and, and it took a kind of epiphany for you to realize that you had not connected all the different dots, that spirit, soul, body dots, and that, you know, and I'm thinking as you're talking, what about the, how important it is for us to be so authentic with each other? And that goes for the mother and father to the children, as well as the children to the parents. So it's so important. We have to, we have to shift into an era where we encourage, and I do this a lot with my, with my parents, I've done it with my kids. I would often get criticized, especially by my mom, who would say, you can't let your kids talk to you like that you can't let them tell you those things and mm-hmm. in the very religious environments and very sort of strict environments where you know you don't let your children express their emotions they must just learn from you but that's so so silly because you can't you don't have you're still a human you've still got your own stuff that you're dealing with you've got to be out and open and authentic and show them how to dig deep and then show them that okay this is how i'm feeling but this is my i'm going to try this and see if this works and and mm-hmm. backwards and forwards and and it's okay to say to i've had to learn this with four kids and working the way i do often i'm extremely busy and and i've had to my kids have had to sacrifice time with me i've had to teach myself not to feel guilty about quantity mm-hmm. versus quality so there's also that trauma that goes back to a parent who feels so much guilt about i'm not with my child at my child's every single event it's impossible sometimes to be at every single event and that in itself is like a secondary trauma and as you're talking i'm thinking i've suffered secondary trauma because i felt guilty about not being able to be at every single event that my children have experienced i can tell them that and i can say sorry that i missed that and i hated missing that and it made me feel like this you know and in doing that you help them process oh well if that happens to them and you forgive you know, because it's out in the open, there's no assumptions. Yeah. Isn't that important for dealing with trauma? Yeah, I think that honesty is incredibly important. And what I want to offer, and this is why this is so challenging, is that it starts the cliche thing, right? It starts from within, right? This means us being honest and authentic within ourselves first. So because I'm not a parent, when parents reach out, I never, you'll never hear me give direct parenting advice as in what to do when Johnny is X, Y, or Z, right? Don't do that. My response is always some version of the same thing. And it's not always what parents want to hear, which is that focus on you. You heal. You change your relationships with your, your emotions, right? You do the work. And then that is what is modeled to, to your children. And so I say that also in the context of you being authentic within yourself first. And I say this because, because we didn't, most of us didn't have that space, that safe space to be just who we are in childhood. We don't show up authentically as ourselves. We, we don't know who we are. And that's okay. I didn't know who I was. I was, and I'm still discovering. It's a lifetime discovery, you know? So I share my story so frequently because I live, I think I live a lot of the universal experience that many of us do that prevent a lot of us 
from healing. And I used to do the same thing, whether it was something we talked about earlier. I've always known, right, of the power of thought. I've heard it. I've always been so fascinated by reading these people who've cured themselves of inoperable cancer with thought alone. But you know what I did? I said, they are not me. They have something I don't. I can't do that. Right. And I, I applied kind of that way of thinking across the board, you know, with everything. So I share my story about even my authentic journey back to my authentic self because something that could have prevented me was, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to start. None of us know who we are. It's okay to be in your 50s, 60s. I have, I have members in my membership that are in their 70s. You know, I even like upwards of 80 doing the work to find their way back home. So I'm going to be the first one on record to say, many of us don't know how to show up authentically as ourselves. So before we can tell Johnny what to do or not to do, our work is within, is finding our authenticity so that then we can bring that to our relationships with our children included, right? Speak maybe more openly, honestly, even when we're struggling, right? Tell our kid, allow them to see struggle. That's where resilience comes from. It doesn't come like we think and we wish it would. If I just tell the people around me what to do or not, very well-intentioned. I don't want my child, I'm sure, to be pained or I don't want my partner to be pained. But the work starts inside, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I mean, that's the, scientifically, we see that too. You know, this clinical trial we've just done has opened my mind to, you know, I've been in this field for years, but just we, we, I did a trial where we looked at the psychological, physiological and neurophysiological, so spirit, soul and body, literally. And it was fascinating to just see on that spiritual level, that non-conscious level, which I propose is like 99% of who we are, that deep spiritual non-conscious stuff that we, when you say work on the, that for the authenticity, the inside first, I'm talking about that 99%. You know, Nicole, we see before you're consciously aware of what you're saying and doing, your brain is responding to your non-conscious, your spiritual part. And so, and you can see how people will say one thing, but actually what they're believing is another. So that cognitive dissonance and the brain, the brain just picks up what the non-conscious is doing. And then you, then you try and convince yourself it's other and it creates tremendous anxiety in the brain response and in the physiological response. And that's the whole, so it, it's real. I mean, this is very, very real. And as soon as you manage that, as soon as you start digging deep, because my work has all been around my management of digging deep into and I looked at the science of thought and how thoughts build in the brain and how they in the dendrites of the brain and how that's the physical but you can actually unpack that and change that and thoughts are real because people don't think oh I can't see my thought like I can see my head but they're real because they generate everything you do so that enmeshment with your mom and that you know that carrying through into your life etc those are real thoughts that you had that have moved forward I mean people recognize that you can actually you can wire it out out of your physical brain, out of your non-conscious, but it takes that work. And when you see people doing it, your brain changes. It's just phenomenal. So based on that, I'd love to transition over to compassion fatigue, which is something that is also an area you talk about and something that I think is so significantly important. And I think you experienced it because of what you were saying earlier on, you know, that someone turned around to you and said, what do you want? You'd spent your entire career and life as a child and as a young woman and as a therapist just serving others' needs that you yourself were battling with anxiety. So once you started dealing with your internal stuff, so were you suffering from not only secondary trauma, but compassion fatigue? And what is that? And Yeah, absolutely. And I think, so what I believe I had done, so being a very, and again, this all connects, right? At least so I think, right? So here I came to this planet, however you think I got here, right? Just to kind of describe my story, because I think a lot of people can impact it. I, you know, vibed or saw, observed, whatever you want to kind of attribute to a young little infant, right? My mom was a little bit distanced from me, 
right? So I learned, because we're very adaptive, I learned the things to do, the ways to show up, if you will, quote unquote, in my relationship with mom to gain the recognition and the felt love that, you know, she was able to provide. So for me, that became really excelling academically and athletically, right? So was that, that also- the sign? Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Were those like the signs or the symptoms of you having the secondary trauma, that desire to excel at? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes those of us who are perfectionistic or who are really high achievement driven, that's not in and of itself, but it's what is the function. So I came to understand the function of that for me was to get the praise because my mom was very into athletics and academics. So that's when she would shower me, usually with, you know, kind of a, a reward of some kind with, you know, because it wasn't, again, it wasn't really the love that she was giving me. It was the money or the, you know, award for the good report card or being at my athletic games, et cetera. Part of what I also learned, right, was to be really attuned to my mom. Because when I was able to get a sense of her emotional climate, that would help me to know when she was available to receive me in a way, right? So that's the pattern I was talking about that I became very much what we call empathetic. I'm very highly attuned. Now you'll hear the word, I'm a highly sensitive person being talked about. I believe we all are as humans. We are all very energetically sensitive. We have those senses that as I, you know, I know, you know, that exists, you know, kind of in the world, our sixth sense, et cetera. We all have what happens a lot of times if you've had the situation or the experience like I did, we actually use that to protect ourselves. So whether or not you had the distant mother like myself, sometimes if you had the chaotic parent or the impulsive, explosive parent, we've become safer when we can vibe and feel about how everyone else is feeling. So what that looked like for me was this incredible ability to be empathetic to really attune myself to someone else, which is why I was really successful in my field. I could have a client sit in front of me. And even if I didn't share the same lived experience with that client, I could embody and imagine and almost feel viscerally what it might've been like for them because that's what I was doing my whole life, right? It was my, my interpersonal personal style. And then it became how we're trained in practice. And that just worked for me. So I got good at it. So before I know it, I was putting, like you said, everyone else and everyone else's feelings above my own. However, I was still having my own. I was so disconnected from them. I didn't actually feel them, if you will. But it didn't mean that, right, all of the thoughts weren't firing, all the neurotransmitters and all the hormones, that was all still existing in my body. So I share that to say, I had a lot of feelings then existing in my person as a lot of us do. And what that looks like, not only does that look like, in my opinion, physical and emotional, you know, exhaustion, we're completely, we're, we're depleted. Sometimes it affects us interpersonally. What I started to realize is I got really resentful. I was starting to become really indirectly and sometimes directly resentful of everyone else around me. I was putting the responsibility almost on them. The fact that I couldn't say no to anyone who needed my help, or I couldn't, you know, turn down plans or not pick up my phone, right? I got mad at that. Not me, not me for putting them first. So what happened is I, I did fatigue myself. And I think a lot of us do that. When we become so worried about other people and we then take the, we become a vessel for their emotions and our own, very well-intentioned, right? I mean, we all want to be empathetic, care, love others as we love ourselves. However, we reach a limit because we're not releasing our own feelings. Some of us aren't releasing the feelings that we're carrying from other people. 
And then we do suffer a spiritual, emotional, and physical even breakdown. That is so well explained. And as you're explaining it, I'm thinking of the work that I've done in this clinical trial with, and, and the, the, the way that I've, how I understand thoughts and the, from the scientific and the quantum physics side is they've got thoughts, have got energy. So you go through that experience, just like all your life experience. You've built all these thoughts in your brain and they're little physical they're literally little computers with uh, made of proteins that are, are vibrating inside the dendrites in the brain. So they're not at the synaptic connections. They're these little thought trees, literally, and they hold all this. Now, but they're filled with energy and they're pulsing and that energy is coming up. But instead of you getting it out, that's going in. And so then the energy becomes distorted because it has to be transferred. Energy can't just disappear. Energy's got to be transferred. So this energy that you're talking about, that you've that you've had, it, it was all pushed down because we have to, pro- and, and transferred means processing. When you process, Process something by talking, acknowledging, embracing. I always talk about embrace process, we conceptualize. You allow energy to naturally transfer. And we see that shift happening in the brain. We see the change in how the dendrites function, etc., etc., all that brain stuff. But if you keep it pushed down and you for the empathy that you that you that you gave others, the tuning in kind of kept a balance for a period because it was a very positive thing you were giving to others and and there is a lot of research showing that the more empathy you have when you reach out and help others in your brokenness you can increase your own healing by a factor of up to 68 percent and there's a lot of studies around that but that goes hand in hand with you can't just do that so here's all this energy you're giving so you kind of kept a balance but cumulatively over time that energy now became volcanic and exploded which is kind of what you're doing so i'm just thinking as you're talking i'm thinking of all the neurophysiological and then yes. how that hits your and we're seeing things like Nicole the like prolactin which is a, a hormone that's very sensitive to our deep emotions or spiritual we always talk about cortisol I'm so tired of talk cortisol because that's all everyone ever talks about but there's a whole and it's good we need to talk about it but we have other neuroendocrine responses and our bodies are the blood and and the physiology physiology is much slower than the brain response the spiritual and brain kind of on the same time frame our cognitive is always sort of 10 seconds later and our body sometimes takes it changes so much that you get a, a pattern can take weeks so it can take up to three four weeks to see the actual physiological you'll feel it immediately but the long-term physiological so we see like with prolactin for example that which tunes into the deep emotional need when that energy is not being if you're not getting that energy out if you're not balancing the empathy with processing your own stuff one of the things that can get thrown out besides the cortisol and all that stuff is the prolactin level which has a d so we there's there's always a link you you spiritual yeah. body all the way through but that energy thing's very real if you don't get mm-hmm. it out it goes in it embeds in the cell function it embeds in mm-hmm. and then that feeds back because your mind is using your brain so now your brain and your body are now not functioning like they should so now they're going to send you messages so your non-conscious sends up mess- sub to yeah. the subconscious non-conscious to subconscious prompts mm-hmm. Hey, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? And then you push that down and you and you give someone else empathy. So now you get exhausted. Is that kind of does that kind of describe yeah, what you went yeah. through? I think, you know, really really beautifully and and part of what I would do too is with my empathy, I got into a habit of explaining away my feelings because I could understand why someone else did what they did, almost invalidating my right to my reaction. I mean, we get really savvy, you know, in our mind Again, wrapping this all full circle. And this is why I believe that talk alone, you know, if you will, right, just the mind alone isn't enough. This is why I do go back to the body, you know, release of energy, whether it's physiological, whether it's retraining our nervous system to be able to, you know, kind of as it, as it like we're set up to do to go back and forth between our rest and our activated state. A lot of us get stuck in one or the other, right? So all of this 
I am leading in to say, this is why we, in my opinion, need to continue to work holistically because these things are housed in our body and are, you know, impacted by our sub our unconscious, right? They are chemicals that are, you know, maybe out of balance, our nervous system, right? So talk alone. And I say this, I was in analytic training. I mean, I was a believer in the talking cure, right? Give me a couch, lay on it for several years. We'll talk our way through. I was on the couch too, as part of my training. I was, you know, in analysis myself. So I did both of the sides of that coin. Again, I don't know, you know, if that can provide the release. It's helpful. You'll never hear me talking against, you know, kind of talk-based therapy. It's a lot of people that are in my membership are also in talk-based therapy. However, like I was saying, when we began this conversation, if we don't integrate the very real body that we are having and the dysregulations that occur driven by that unconscious, we're going to remain stuck. And that's why we are stuck. I believe as a humanity only working separately, the medication addresses this, the talk does this, let's learn how to release our emotions more fully so that we can heal. Sometimes it's just so hard to get all the essential nutrients and vitamins your brain and body needs. That's why supplements can be a great option, but there are just so many out there and it can be confusing and overwhelming. Trust me, I know. So I did some research. Well, actually, a lot of research because that's what I do. And I came across Ritual. Ritual is the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. For me personally, I love how Ritual values transparency. For obsessive label readers, all of Ritual's vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free and allergen-free ingredients and their sources are out there for the whole world to see. It's so important for me to know what I am putting into my body. And right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your ritual today. The links will be in the show notes as well. If you don't use your work spirit, soul, and body, you're going to shoot something out of your mouth that you're going to regret. You're going to say or do something that you're going to regret. So you do need, I mean, even if it's down to the breathe, everyone teaches it, breathing, meditation, tapping. These are very good tools because that energy does get pent up. It's very real. You know, when you touch your hand or you do this with your hand, you are creating a quantum wave change. It's not that you are affecting the protons. It's not some woo-woo thing. That stretching when you feel like you're going to freak out instead of biting someone's head off, do a bit of a yoga stretch or do a, I agree with you totally. We have to, what are you eating? What's your internal environment? You know, we cannot not address the one without the other. And I think that's also where the wellness space sometimes gets a bit scary for me because it's like, it's everything's just about diet, diet, diet. It's not about just diet. It's not just about meditation. You know, meditation is not the savior of mankind. Like it's been punted to be. It's you've got to go beyond that. You know, and that's what I love about you. You've got to go beyond all. You've it's all of it together, which is so important. Yeah, I, I agree. And you'll never hear me giving out prescriptions of a universal, you know, kind of treatment, quote unquote, plan to self heal because I don't believe it exists. You'll never hear me, even though a lot of times people will. I think misattribute, you know, that I do believe that one or two things is going to heal you. Absolutely not. You know, it, it is about, you know, becoming conscious and harnessing these changes and making the changes that we need to make for ourselves to 
regulate our body, to be to fall back into alignment with our spiritual selves, to learn how to navigate our emotions and our relationships in a new way. You know, all of this is takes consistent daily effort. It's ongoing, it's long term, and there's not a prescribed manual that's going to teach everyone universally how to heal in the same way. It's about reconnecting with ourselves. And I'm really, and I thank you, you know, kind of for understanding my message that that's what my message is. It's not meditate and journal and, you know, kumbaya your way. I mean, absolutely not at all. There's so much to healing, which is why I can feel overwhelming, but which is also why you'll hear me talking about those practical small daily promises, the small changes we can make that truly do add up. I actually don't suggest changing your life from top to bottom by the time you wake up tomorrow. It's it's un, unreasonable, unrealistic, and it, it's overwhelming in and of itself. And I totally agree with you. You're talking about the time. I'm so glad that you honed in on that time factor and you use it with your own life story as well, that it was in your 30s that you started actually having your epiphany moments and you're still going through a growth process. And that's something that time factor, I decided to research that too and to look at you know all this the nonsense out there about 21 days to form a habit and there's time involved in the neurological side and to get the neurological physiology and so on so that the whole thing of it takes 21 days to build a long-term memory and that's daily consistent the little things you're talking about I mean at least seven minutes a day for 21 days is the only way you actually will build a long-term memory otherwise it just Basically, the energy just denatures. The proteins just denature. They just convert to heat energy. It takes 63 days at least to form a habit. And I've just re, there's so little research on those kind of numbers that I just did another trial with looking at those actual numbers and tracking it neurophysiologically as well. And it is a fact that it is going to take you, based on the work of Mar- Marion Diamond, you may have heard of Dr. Marion Diamond, who died at 94, still in the lab researching. She basically showed that it's going to, you get some sort of peaks and changes in the neural structure structures, specifically the what we call the dendrites, the top of the neurons, which you, you're familiar with. And that's where memory is stored, not in the connections of the synapses like everyone talks about. Like as we're talking now, we are building connections in the brain around the sort of cell body, the synapses where things touch each other. But to turn that into long-term memory, you're going to have to do the work of going back and thinking about this information or doing the work of working on why you're doing what you're doing or preparing for an exam if it's brain building, whichever angle you go, it takes 21 days to turn that into memory, then it's still not memory that's usable. It still needs more work and at least another 42 days to actually turn, give it enough energy. We were speaking about energy earlier on, enough energy for it to go into your non-conscious 99% spiritual part of you for it to impact your physical. So when you speak about the time, it's very real. We, 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 and so often, I don't know if you get this, I don't practice anymore, but I remember getting this in my practice and also with people sending me endless, endless direct messages and emails like you probably get as well. And very often it's, I did one cycle of 21 days or I tried it for three days and start working, nothing will work in that time. You know, it could take you, you, and even after 63 days, the shift is going to be, you will see a change, but you can see a drop in anxiety of up to 80%, but you have to maintain that. You have to keep, because that's going to trigger another bunch of stuff that you have to work on. So you're not finished. So I always tell people in one year of 365 days, if you take your numbers, you actually have to work on at least 17 to 20 things every year. And even that might be too much. You can work on five a year, but it's all the time. It's a lifestyle. And I found that quite a lot to train people to in this day and age where it's quick fix mentality, take a drug, take a tablet, you know, fast, fast, fast. It's actually an issue. I don't know if yeah. you see that with your client. If you see yeah. that trend, trend amongst. 100%. I mean, so just kind of 
the logical statement that I offer people to kind of, I think, reframe or gain some awareness is just to ask them how long they've been living, you know, this one other way, you know, and for a lot of us, decades, you know, lifetime. So to logically believe that 21 days in comparison to however many years we've accumulated, you know, just not, and I say this because I've lived it. I, this was the most hateful thing I had to, I had to internalize was the reality that this isn't quick. You know, I'm just like everyone else. I wanted to do things, you know, cause they were uncomfortable. New things are for all of us. I only wanted to have to do them a handful of times. And I too believe that I should just be better by now. And it's just not. So the reason why I am often talking about, you know, our childhood experiences is because we, we are sponge-like, you know, in those first seven odd years or whatever it has you. So that's why those are so impactful. You know, our subconscious, unconscious, what have you is being kind of written, the computer, right? Written directly on to the program because we are receptive in those early years, which is why once that our brain, you know, shifts and a brainwave pattern shift into the ones that we carry into adulthood, we can affect deep lasting change like you're so passionate about you know helping people to do as i am as well but not without that consistent repetition so you know a lot of parents will jokingly be like oh you know blame the parents it's always childhood but it is because of the way we're evolutionarily wired our brain actually allows us to learn all humaning if you will right how to be a human we need that we appreciate that but in adulthood it just takes that consistency and I'm the first person why I often and always will share my journey and the reality of how difficult it was because in that first year, I did not do new things every day. You know, there would be weeks at a time in between where I would be tantruming and off of all my routines and then I would get back on them. So, you know, it isn't the linear trajectory, you know, so we have to, this is where we show ourselves compassion and grace because change takes effort consistent daily effort and it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And to speak to your very eloquent point you made earlier, and then other things come to the surface. And then that adds layer upon layer of discomfort. Healing isn't fun. However, you know, kind of coming and walking through a lot and changing a lot of my lifestyle habits, I also know how much better you feel along the way. So you learn tools, you learn how to feel empowered, and it makes the journey incredibly worthwhile. So what would you give as some sort of tips in terms of when you're in that crash, when you, like you said, you had days where you were tantrumizing, tantruming, I love that, you know, <laughs> where, where you kind of, okay, here's this ideal path and I'm going through this healing and I'm changing and I'm doing all this stuff, but now I'm having a day where just like, I'm, I'll give you an example. I'll never forget the one time I was just, I, I was exhausted from traveling. I had all my kids with us. I was trying to keep kids entertained, plus go to conferences and be all, look perfect and have all the answers on the stage in front of thousands of people and then still spend time with my kids because they were trying to have a bit of a holiday. And it was just, like too much and I'm sure I, was trying to, I was trying to finish a book and my kids were younger and I remember my kids came to the hotel room and I had just got back and all I wanted to do was just go and have a sauna on my own and just chill and go back and lie in my bed and watch Grey's Anatomy or something yeah. stupid and they wanted to go for a walk and I just I remember getting so irritated and saying and whatever got and my one daughter turned around to me and said you can choose mom because I'm always saying you can choose you know like things feel choose and I at that moment I said I don't want to choose to do the right thing I want to do I want to I do, and I kind of threw a little tantrum and it, it created so much laughter amongst us but it was me being honest that I 
yes, I know I can choose. Yes, I know I can choose to not get frustrated now. Yes, I know. But right at this moment, I am so tired. I just Mm -hmm. want to choose to do my own thing. And you guys are going to have to go and find a way. And it was quite hard, but the the openness and me saying, I don't want to choose. They've never let me forget that. So every time one of them was in a place where I would say, you can choose, you know, you can get through this. You can choose too. You chose not to choose. So we're choosing not to choose kind of thing. So yeah. I think the perfect, you know, it's beautiful because I think what you're illustrating and something I often say is learning how to be compassionate and acceptant of our own choices. Because a, a lot of times so my number one suggestion, whether or not you're choosing to do maybe all the new things or the one new thing that you committed to do, maybe you're choosing, making that choice. Maybe you're choosing not to allowing yourself to just be within that choice. Because what, what we often do is we make choice A, say, right? But we're looking over at B and we are beating ourselves up for not having gone down path B. And I would do the same thing, right? If I chose like that today for whatever reason, because my body's physically tired or because I'm emotionally tired, or just, I don't want to, I'm tantruming. If I chose not to do all the things that maybe I did the day before, I do myself the most disservice as I, if I sit on my couch and I think about all the things I'm not doing and I beat myself up. I might as well go do that. So choose your choice, accept your choice, I think is my number one, because that's the difference then between do I get the respite moment that not going to the gym is allowing me, or am I causing myself such stress that I might as well just be at the gym because I'm not even resting. So my number one advice, whatever it is that you're doing or not doing in any given moment, just allowing yourself to drop into that moment and be with it as it is, accept the choice you made. Because the power of thought, right? We cause ourselves so much more discomfort. We cause our body so much more discomfort when we try to drop into another a moment that's not there. That's absolutely brilliant. I'm just thinking immediately of examples in my own life and my kids' lives and people that I speak to, how common this is about, I should be doing this, this, and this. I should be doing this. And I just don't feel like it. And you can't enjoy that time of rest because you, all the time of just being lazy or just the time of, I don't feel like working on this today. I just feel like having a, ma- a mind break or a physical, whatever. If it's enjoying that moment, it's that now moment and just giving yourself that permission because it'll pass. But for now, that's what you need. But be so in this mode of I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, that it actually can put so much pressure on us, can't it? Absolutely. And sometimes, again, that I got to comes from right conditioned beliefs, those habit patterns. So it does get more complicated. Like you said earlier, right? You can't just change your food and, you know, make your, make your, you know, kind of find, eat your way to health. Because again, a lot of times the way we're eating are affected by our beliefs, by our patterns. So we really, I think again, full circle, we have to go down to the deeper stuff. We have to understand which, which driving, you know, whatever it is that's causing us to be stuck or causing our life to not look the way it is. Typically there is that driver. So that's, I guess, another layer of what holistic means to me is get to the underlying source, whether it's the language, you right, the unconscious, the subconscious, like What's driving it? Because there is something driving it. And usually it's misalignment in one of those areas, my physical body, my emotional body, or my spiritual body. So, you know, kind of understanding, I think the driving force of it is what really helps us resolve it. I, I love that. And and taking that driving force, that inner child thing that you also speak about, that's commonly spoke about in psychology is what you've also been kind of referring to. What you're saying is it's what I wanted to ask you is a good tip, something 
and I think this is what you've been saying, that if the you went through that with your mom, but your mom went through something too, and her mom went through something too. So instead of us going to this psychoanalytic Freud and, oh, it's always the mother's fault kind of thing, because it's always the mother's fault, it's to actually look at, well, I'm now an adult, that mother of mine who may have caused this in me, she went through something or oh, he went through something. So the pattern. So what do we need to do is as a child, we need to have compassion for the parent. As a parent, we need to have compassion for the child. So isn't it time for us to level the playing fields and say, hey, we all humans, whether you're a mother or a child, a father or a child, adult, we have got stuff from the past. Yes. 100%. Let's 100%. all... I don't know if you yes. can say that better than and, I said it. <laughs> yeah. And, no, I love that. That's beautiful. And that still doesn't mean that that empathy, that, that language I'll use, right? So I could totally understand, you know, for instance, why my mom, you know, is the way she is, right? If you have a mom that was maybe egregiously was abusive, you know, or neglectful, we can understand that doesn't mean, however, that we have to have a relationship. We can still determine the context of the relationship. So understanding empathy, seeing the intergenerational transmission of these patterns is really great and really healing. And we still can be empower ourselves to choose how we show up or don't show up in those relationships. Because sometimes I will get a question, oh, well, if I just forgive everyone, I'm opening myself up to abuse. No. So for instance, I've been no contact with my family. I forgive my mom. I completely understand why my mom is how she is and was unable to emotionally connect with me. And I still choose that for me, having that no contact is what I need right now. So I also like to just put that out there because I think a lot of times we get confused and we think, oh, well, that means I have to run back into an abusive relationship. No, you can still understand why this person may have been your, your abuser and choose to never have them in your life again. I agree. And you can create boundaries that, that All keep that. Yeah. Know, and, that's, yeah. and I talk about flexibility a lot, allowing that and. And, and, and I can feel two conflicting ways about one thing. If I can make space for both of those conflicting emotions, instead of deciding, deciding one is the way I should feel and one is the way I shouldn't, we can really help ourselves expand. Flexibility. Which, oh, that's fantastic. Nicole, you have been outstanding. Can you believe this hour is up? You've got to go. I've I'm got shocked. to go. Me too. We have to do this again. I'm so excited. I love it. Totally. I love it. It was amazing. Just before we go, can, how do people find you? Absolutely. So I'm always shouting out my Instagram, the.holistic.psychologist. It really is the home and the hub with a link tree that will lead you into all exciting things, including a new membership that I'm opening up on Friday. For Wonderful. So, exciting. That's fantastic. Thank you again for having me. It's thank really been you. amazing to connect. And as always, I look forward to our next chat. That's I great. do. I look forward to it so much as well. And have a fantastic day and stay safe. And you all too. those details will be in the show notes so people can find you. Thank, thank you. you for your wisdom and thank you for your time. Of course. Thank, thank you. you. Have you a good so much. You day. too. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. 
I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.